0: So today we continue our series through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we've been journeying through the Sermon on the Mount uh, over the course of this year, and we are into the final few uh, sermons uh, as Jesus concludes this, what is an incredible teaching on what it looks like to live out uh, the kingdom of God, to fully participate in the reality of God, um, not just for the future, but for uh, today. And uh, as you might have noticed from our reading today, we're going to be talking about uh, what is a very familiar teaching, often called kind of the the wide and the narrow path. We're going to kind of unpack this. Now, if you live here in the Territory and if you're into four-wheel driving, I think that you probably have kind of a leg up in terms of understanding this particular metaphor that Jesus uses. Because when you're four-wheel driving and you're going through various places, sometimes you might... Uh, come across a nice wide road and suddenly it's dirt road, it's kind of red dirt often as you're kind of travelling through various areas but the thing is, even though the road is really, really wide, you also know that there is a very narrow path that you still must take because as you sometimes encounter these roads and if you're unfamiliar with them, they look really wide, they look really attractive and especially if you've been kind of crawling through riverbeds or whatever it might be, suddenly it looks really advantageous but the thing is, if you just start putting your foot down and heading across some of these wide roads, so often what you end up with is either a lot of congr- corrugations, you know, bumping up and down, pushing you to the left or to the right. You can end up with big piles of bulldust where suddenly you almost get air as you go through because there's just nothing underneath you. In fact, sometimes it's these wide roads you have to be extra, extra careful in because there is actually a specific way to avoid all the bumps. Uh, a similar situation occurred almost a year ago when um, Megan and I and the boys we were travelling down at Robe. Uh, we were doing some four-wheel drive tracks along the beaches down there, which is really, really nice. You can kind of full drive on the beachfronts and there's these backtracks. Um, and I was a bit cavalier. We are in our, our Prado. It's got like a lift kit and we've gone and got our, our materials with us. And, and, yes, there were kind of, you know, these kind of paths that were well-trodden where, like, you know, cars had gone before, clearly. But I was like, it doesn't really matter. We're kind of exploring. We'll kind of just see where we end up. And uh, and as I drove along this beach uh, and was taking it far too slow in the end, I discovered that uh, while the path looked very wide and very optional, uh, the car quickly sank into some very deep sand. Now, this probably doesn't quite do justice to how deep uh, that car is uh, because we'd already done a whole lot of digging out. Um, But if you're familiar with a side rail on a lifted vehicle, the side rail was actually below the level of the sand, right? So this was a deep, deep hole that we were in. And it was kind of frustrating because I looked at the beach. I said, there's so many options. It surely was compacted, but apparently, rather than following the narrow path that I should have, where I'd seen cars go before, I decided to go somewhere different. And it was only the result of this wonderful good Samaritan here who's standing on the side of the car, who happened to have four max tracks to get us out, that we actually managed to escape that beach probably before the tide came in. But this is like, this is kind of the thing, it can be really deceptive sometimes. It, it we look and, and the, even the wide road can look attractive, it can look accessible, but actually it can be quite dangerous. It's usually maybe through some trial and error or maybe through the wisdom and experience of others that we discover that even in these wide places, there is a narrow road to find. And so I think that speaks to this passage a little bit as we get our perspective on what Jesus is getting at here. The passage goes like this. I've deliberately kept the title up there because we're going to come back to it, all right? Now, the titles aren't in the original text. They're added later by translators to help us, but... um, I just just so you know, it's there for a reason. They often call this the narrow and wide gates. So Matthew seven thirteen to fourteen, enter through the narrow gate. This is Jesus speaking. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, because this passage is so familiar, so often as Christians, what we do is we bring our ideas into a text, okay? This is very, very common, right? We all carry a particular understanding about God and maybe an understanding of theology, how things work in terms of faith. And because we all carry one of these theologies, when we read the text, we often project that theology onto the text, okay? And we all do this from time to time. But this passage is one of those passages where this happens on a regular basis, now, I actually, was, uh, I actually decided not to put an image on the screen here because one of the pictures that you often will see is if you put this into Google and say image search, right, is this classic picture of a really wide highway, right, with a whole bunch of people heading to the fires of hell, falling off a cliff, and this tiny little path, right, that leads to, you know, God's hand or something like that. You, you can chuck it in Google. You chuck it put this passage in, that is the image that you get. And there's this very much this eternal aspect to this teaching as as it's depicted in these artistic representations. But it's actually really important that when you go back to the actual text here, Jesus doesn't use the word eternal in this passage, okay? So some people have projected into this text that it's just about heaven and hell. It's about eternal salvation. And Jesus does talk about heaven and hell. I'm not saying that he doesn't, all right? He does talk about heaven and hell. He does talk about future realities, just he doesn't talk about it in here, right? But we see words like destruction and life, and because we assume that he's talking about eternal realities, we project that in, hence why we get these artistic depictions that we do. Now, rather, what Jesus is doing is actually picking up on things that people are already aware of conscious understandings that people have most likely his audience who would be familiar with the the Torah, the scriptures that they grew up with, right? So Jesus, as we see all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, it's not that he's necessarily bringing in a new idea. In fact, the thing that he says over and over again is, I've not come to abolish the law or the teachings. I've come to fulfill them, right? I've come to show show you what they're actually like. I've come to show you how to properly interpret them, right? And so he's been doing that all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. So we come to two verses. He hasn't changed what he's doing, right? He's still doing the same thing. And so most likely this narrow and and kind of wide gates metaphor would be picking up upon the the conscious awareness that people had of the journey of Israel, particularly back here in Deuteronomy. See, back in Deuteronomy, as God was calling a people, right, to, to, to not only imitate him, but to be that priesthood of believers, right, to represent him in the world, he said this in verse 15 to 18. See, I set before you today, this is before you, the people, life and prosperity, death and destruction. You hear some familiar words there? (laughs) Destruction and life, right? So familiar, not a new thing. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws, then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But... If your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. All right, so this whole idea of two ways, right, and the ultimate outcome of the different ways is not a new idea. This is something that Jesus' audience would have been deeply familiar with, and Jesus was most definitely picking up on. Interestingly, this same uh, uh, statement from God is also reflected in Jeremiah. And and as you would note, a a few weeks ago, we talked about Jeremiah. We talked about the state that Israel and Judah had found themselves in and how God, they they went through this refining process in order to actually be uh, restored ultimately to the original intention God had for them. Jesus' agenda was no exception. Which is why when you go to a different translation for this original text, particularly, say, something like the ESV, it's actually got a little bit more of a helpful breakdown. You see, instead of putting the narrow and wide gate at the top of verse 13, they say the golden rule is the title. And from verse 12, Jesus says, "...so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many." For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. You can see how the title on a piece of the scripture can actually do a, make a big, big difference to how we interpret a couple of verses, right? And interestingly, in the, at least in this ESV, they've chosen to frame it around the golden rule. Because Jesus uh, says the practice, the expression of your faith, the expression of your participation in the kingdom is my priority here. you, you Even the Pharisees, you're you're trying to be obedient, but you're missing the mark. You're missing the heart. You're missing the purpose that God has for you. And so the whole law and the prophets is about living the way that God created you to live and demonstrating that to the whole world so you are blessed to be a blessing. So therefore, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the road that leads to destruction. You've heard this before. And I think this phrase in the ESV is really interesting. It talks about the way, the way. Why it is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Because the thing we need to understand when it comes to this present reality, not just future, this present reality is that everybody chooses a way. Everybody. Everybody chooses a way. Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter. Everybody chooses a particular way. Now up to this point, we can see how Jesus has been leading to this. Right from the beginning with the Beatitudes, Jesus extended the invitation to the unexpected people and said, hey, you who think that you're out, you are close to the heart of God, you can participate in the way. He has gone about reinterpreting the law in order that it might be a fulfilled, not abolished, which is about the heart informing the way. He has this whole section on the the hypocrites, and he says, don't express your faith in order to win the approval of others. That's the way of the world, right? And he says, forgive others. Express a generous heart. Don't worry and don't judge, for you have a Father in heaven that you can trust. It all is informing this way that he is prompting people to follow. People who know God or would have grown up with a deep understanding of who God is. Now, this teaching, just like in Deuteronomy, is about acknowledging the challenge to walk this particular way. That's what it's about. It's not about the destination. It's about the challenge of walking this particular way. You see, as Christians, we are called to live our lives in a particular way. And it requires attention to detail. It requires deliberate pursuit. It requires intention. You see, the path that Jesus is speaking about is actually, first and foremost, about the present. The future matters. We have future hope. Eternal life matters. It's just not what Jesus is talking about here. Okay, He's talking about our present reality. And as John picked up in, in that quote, you know, this is not just about salvation. This is about the life and the happiness, that word that we experience here in the present. The peace that God has bestowed his creation with when they live the way they were intended to live. So the path is about the present. And the path that we choose to live on is actually a daily choice. It's like back in Deuteronomy. Life and destruction are actually present realities because we're all choosing a way. I don't need to like explain this to you. You witness this, if not in your own life, you witness this in the lives of people around you. You see the different ways that people choose and you see the consequences of those ways. And when those ways build up a head of steam, they build up momentum, they ultimately lead to greater and greater levels of life or greater and greater levels of destruction, right? this is what Jesus is picking up on. If we're not deliberate, if we're not intentional about the way that we choose, if if we just assume that the wide road is the safe road, if we don't actually seek the narrow path that actually takes detail and attention, then the kind of experiences that we're going to have as we journey on that way will risk not only danger to our present, but danger to our future. And so this is the intention that Jesus is talking about. He's saying if you want to walk on this kind of Sermon on the Mount way, if you want to walk this out, right? If you want to walk out the way of the gospel, the way of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to do it with intention. You're not going to stumble into it. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's times when people stumble into the kingdom because the kingdom is breaking breaking through in all sorts of different places and people get to taste it and see it, and that's really cool. But to actually choose the way of Jesus, choose the way of the kingdom requires intention because there is a broad road that can be walked upon and if we don't actually have intention we'll simply journey down that road i think back we don't experience it here in alice i think back to whenever you're traveling through a major city in melbourne or something like that i remember the the, the, the time that always freaks me out as we were journeying toward the airport is what's called the balty bridge turnoff Because the thing is, as you kind of enter into the city, I know that there's a left-hand exit somewhere up there. Like, and in my brain, and I'm not great, like, this is good at driving, not good at navigating, but in my brain, there's like, I know it's somewhere up there, but the problem is there's five lanes of traffic, right? There's five lanes of traffic, and if I'm stuck on the right-hand side, by the time I see that exit, it's too late. (laughs) It's way too late. Even if I can see it on the horizon, it's already too late, there's no nice Victorians who are going to let me cross five lanes of traffic. I might get to two, okay? I'm a Victorian. I'll give you two. But five, not going to happen. There's this sense in which is like if I want to be able to make that turn off, I'm moving to the left-hand lane before I go under the river, right? Because I need to be deliberate about the decisions I make because I can anticipate where what is coming, right? It's good to seek God in the moment. And it's good to have open eyes. but God, where are your work? How can I step into it? But in the broader decision of the way that we choose to go, there are some really deliberate decisions we need to make to prepare for that exit. You can have an outcome in mind and something you're striving for. I want to make that turn off. But the work is in the journey. It's actually doing it. It's actually stepping it out. And this is why Jesus puts his finger on. And he's going to put this finger on this over the next not just this week, the next week and the week after, right? Size, so I think you're on next week, mate? No, good. No surprise dies. that's good. We're going to be like hammering this in, right? Because this is about the present reality and what it looks like to live out the kingdom of God today, and it requires intention. So with this in mind, with this in mind that we all choose a way, we need to have intention about how we go and live that out, Jesus continues. He says, verse 7: 15 and 16, "Watch out for false prophets." They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? I know I do not. So Jesus says, we're all choosing a way. You need to be intentional about your way. But as you are intentional about your way, you're going to meet some people on the way. You do not do the way alone. And the first thing that he highlights is false prophets. Now, depending on what tradition you've grown up in, maybe you just like when you picture a false prophet, you're imagining like a guy like with a big beard, like standing on like a, I don't know, like a, a wooden box or something like and kind of yelling out, it's like that kind of prophetic figure, you know. And he's like, oh, well, you know, sometimes they might say something true, but sometimes they might be false. That's, a prophet is simply somebody who communicates the word of God, right? That's what a prophet is. They claim to speak the truth. They claim to speak for God. That's what it means to be a prophet, right? Uh, And and so Jesus starts off by saying there are going to be people along the way, even as you are intentional, that are going to be claiming to speak for God or claiming to speak truth, but you need to be careful. Now, this isn't just about having a a posture of cynicism or skepticism, be like, I don't believe anyone. But Jesus is saying there are going to be people on the way who say that hey, I have authority to speak into this, and maybe I speak the word of God, but they don't. And I think that this is really important. I was just reflecting on this the other day. I think this is why faith community is so important. I love you guys who are joining us online, but I also love the fact that we actually gather together, right? Because when we gather together, we see each other. And this is very different too. And look, heck, I could be one of those people who you watch online, who claim to speak for God, right? But because you don't live in their world, you never get to see evidence of that fruit. This is always the danger. We, we reach out and we seek information. And that information could be right or wrong. But actually what Jesus says is there's going to be people you meet on the journey who you're going to choose to give authority over you. But it's by their fruit you will recognize whether or not they indeed speak for God. And it's hard to see the fruit unless you're doing life with people, right? And, and and I put myself out there, and like you know, there's a sense of like as a pastor, I want to be known for my fruit. You know, I come up here and I say a few words, and maybe have a few conversations during the week. But but what's the point of me giving advice if my life doesn't reflect the kind of fruit that is reflective of the kingdom? And the same is true of all of us. We we enter into our workplaces, and and you have a prophetic role within your workplace or your family. Like you have a prophetic role. Kids, they're not in here, but if you are a kid, you have a prophetic role within your family, right? So we have this role to speak the very words of God. And many of you do. Good job. But the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet is actually in the fruit. We've got to be careful who we surround ourselves with. Because sometimes there's people who call themselves Christian. I'm not doing this to judge. I'm doing this so that we can be equipped in discerning, right? Sometimes there are people who call themselves Christians, but when you actually see the fruit of their lives, you're kind of like, really? I, 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 wanna, I want you to be on my team, but, but the fruit that you're expressing just does not reflect the kingdom. You call yourself a Christian, but you're acting out in anger and violence and hostility. You're marginalizing people. You know, this is the stuff that it breaks my heart because as Christians, we're not perfect. Of course we're not. But we are all called to live a particular way. And if we're just going to leave it to chance, we'll end up taking the white path. It requires intention. Sometimes it requires a prayer before each morning, before we head into work and be like, God, who are you going to place in my path? Who is it going to be the most frustrating person you are going to place in my path today? And God, I'm going to call and ask that your spirit would lead me to express the kind of fruit that reflects your heart. And you do that in advance Because in the moment, if you're anything like me, it doesn't always come up. We try. But we do that in advance. And I love how Jesus just lays out here. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes and figs from thistles? And the truth is, it doesn't matter what people call themselves. If people are thorn bushes or thistles, you can't expect fruit. (laughs) And I'm not doing that to be like, you're always a thistle and you're always a thorn bush. Jesus isn't doing that either. But if, but if we're honest and we're thinking about who our companions on the journey are, if we're honest about that, Jesus is saying, be discerning. Don't just listen to everybody. And certainly don't just listen to everybody who calls themselves a Christian. Look for the fruit. Now, thankfully, Paul actually in Galatians picks up this metaphor. I don't think it's by chance he picks up this metaphor. Um, it's rarely by chance in the scripture. These guys are learning and living um, from the teachings of each other. And again, uh, oh, actually, I'm going to go to this one first. In Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Before this, it talks about the the fruit of the world, essentially. (laughs) But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of somebody who is living in the reality of God is love, joy, peace, forbearance. Where do they go with that anymore? Patience is cool. Anyway, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I love that phrase, keep in step with the Spirit. Because as we go on our way in the present, right, every step, it's about synchronizing with what God is doing. It's not just I've got my ticket to heaven and I'm good. Like, it's about keeping in step with the Spirit. This is what Jesus says. Jesus continues as we kind of wrap this up. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. What I love about this this phrase here and what Jesus does here, he actually points out something that's super encouraging, right? Now, we don't always get this right. And Jesus is deliberately using a teaching to provoke, and it feels very like one side or the other. And sometimes we need that kind of level of extreme understanding in order to throw us out of our kind of lukewarmness <laughs> um, or maybe just our kind of label living. But he's saying, hey, if you are a good tree, you can't bear bad fruit. It's like if, if the tree is healthy, if the tree is healthy, it's going to produce good fruit. And that's an incredibly important thing for us as Christians to understand. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Good fruit is the product of a healthy tree. And when we look at these kind of fruit of the spirit, right, and I think it's kind of funny sometimes, and it's not a bad thing, I'll say this. I remember as a kid on my wall, I had these fruit of the spirit posters that I made with different scriptures, and I'd get up and I'd be like, okay, today I'm going to be more loving. Or Today I'm going to be more joyful, right, And and and... And that's fine. There's a lovely little bit of intention to that. But we all know, right, when we seek to just produce the fruit, (laughs) it can be temporary but rarely produces a crop, okay? We might produce one good apple that day with our intention. But the thing Jesus wants to focus on is actually about the health of the tree, If the tree is good, if the tree is healthy, it will produce the fruit. It's not about being more loving. It's not about being more joyful. It's not about being more patient, even though there's some good intention in that. The thing Jesus comes back to is actually it's about our heart and our positioning with God. It's actually about sitting in all those teachings through the Sermon on the Mount so far and understanding it's not just about the legalism and it's not just about the label, but it's about actual life for today. It's fascinating that um, later in Matthew, Jesus is talking to the crowds and to the disciples. Same setup, as Sermon on the Mount, right? But this is in Matthew chapter 23. I don't have it on the screen. But Jesus said to the crowd and his disciples, he says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything that they tell you. Doesn't that seem bizarre? So Jesus is saying, you do everything the Pharisees and the teachers of the law tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. It's really fascinating. Again, we often are like, oh, Pharisees, bad guys. Jesus is like, hey, listen to them. Hey, my disciples, I know you've chosen to follow me, but listen to them. Just don't do what they do, because their words are good, They're actually maybe even accurate. But the fruit, the living, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, that is the thing that is missing. And we're going to come back to this word practice in a couple of weeks' time. But essentially what Jesus says to these guys is, do what the Pharisees say, but not what they do. Because there isn't compassion in their expression. There is adherence to the letter, but not to the heart. And so... You can see how that idea connected with this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount all kind of wraps up together to help us understand that this way of living, this way of Jesus, it can be done, it can't be done accidentally. It must be done with intention. And with that intention comes companions on the journey, and we need to be aware of those companions. Now, in case you feel like we're judging, next week we're going to be talking about judging ourselves and our fruit, <laughs> right? But we need to be sure that we are choosing a particular way. And that way is not always going to be easy, but it is the best possible way. And so rather than just producing more love, can I encourage you to work on producing and cultivating your life as a healthy tree. You can be more loving, you can be more joyful. Good, do that, definitely do that. But actually being rooted in a source of life and truth that will bring fuel to that tree and give health to that tree is actually the most important thing. It requires nurture. And I don't want to just come out at the end of a sermon and be like, read your Bible more and do your devotions, that kind of stuff. But there's a reason why we say that, right? We don't just say that because it's a list of things to tick off. We do that because those things nurture the tree. And when we nurture the tree, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, Good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And so as we consider what it looks like to have intention, we ask ask the question, where is my life coming from? Where is my truth coming from? You might even ask to carry on the tree metaphor, am I being pruned? (laughs) Am I being pruned back of those areas that are not reflective of the kingdom? Because we all choose to live a particular life. Way. So choose the narrow way, for the narrow way leads to life. I'm just going to give us uh, kind of thirty seconds just to reflect on that, because after that kind of thirty seconds, um, I'm going to actually invite Delvin to come up in a moment. Delvin's going to get baptized, and what I love is a baptism is a public declaration of choosing a particular way. We're not always going to get it right, but it's a commitment to the narrow path, to walking it out, to stepping it out, to cultivating this fruit. And um, and that's so cool. So good. And as you're considering your tree, your path, it may be that you want to take that step too. You've never been baptized before, and you're like, hey, I'm choosing the way of Jesus. Maybe you've chosen it for years, but you've never publicly declared it. You get baptized. I'll be we wet anyway. Let's make it happen. A simple step of obedience but a profound one let's just take that time now and reflect upon our way